Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Mary Margaret Olihan. Lauren is off this week, but I think that there are very few problematic women that Lauren would trust more to fill in for her than Mary Margaret and Brenda Hafera, who is also joining us today. Brenda, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. So Valentine's Day is on Monday. And uh, since the day after Christmas, let's be real, we have been seeing all of that candy, those Valentine's boxes, the teddy bears, all of it. Every time you walk in to a drugstore, a grocery store, it's just very, very in your face. So what is the candy that you all eventually give into? What's your favorite Valentine's candy that you just can't actually end up resisting? Oh, I feel like that, you know, classic L Woods box of chocolates. Yeah, that's, that's the way to go. Yeah. Have you ever done like gotten a big box of chocolates and you know the scene after she breaks up yeah. with her boyfriend and she's sitting in bed and she like takes the bites. She's like, have you ever wanted to throw them at the TV? Yeah. Oh, like, absolutely. Just taking like bites of random pieces of chocolate. <laughs> so at my house, we have a problem. I have a ton of siblings. And if we get the big box of chocolates, someone always will like stick their finger in the bottom to see what it is. And then if they don't like it, they'll leave it. That's so mean. I know. Oh, I was that child. <laughs> I have a lot of siblings, too. And I used to crack the bottom yes. and then try to put it back together so no one would notice. Yep. Oh, that's so bad. And you're like, oh, I'm so sneaky. I sealed this chocolate together. Yeah, it was probably super obvious. Yeah, no, I think it was. You just think, I'm so, I'm so sneaky the way I'm doing this. <laughs> All right, well, um, we have some very sweet content to be very cheesy there. Nice, nice, nice. All right, Mary Margaret, what do we have queued up? Well, up today on Problematic Women, we're going to get real about Valentine's Day dating and our good friend Jane Austen, which is why this is maybe the best episode ever. (laughs) Plus, we'll dive into the Winter Olympics in Beijing and discuss why China should not be hosting the Olympics this year. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you're a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. Valentine's Day, or as some call it, Singles Awareness Day, is Monday, as we said. (laughs) So we figured that it was a pretty good time to talk about one of the women who has defined romance. Her writing has no doubt affected our entire society. We are talking about none other than the English novelist Jane Austen. And I am definitely a fan of Austin, but I am no expert. So that is why Brenda and Mary Margaret are here. (laughs) I know you all are Jane Austen enthusiasts, so I'm very, very, very excited to have your expertise. I have watched Pride and Prejudice, as I'm sure so many in our audience have. We've probably all read, you know, a Jane Austen book in a college or high school literature class. Um, But honestly, like beyond, beyond that, I don't know a ton about Jane Austen. So I'm I'm turning to you all, our Mm -hmm. experts. Who was Jane Austen? Give us the breakdown. 
Do you want to answer this one, Brenda? Sure. <laughs> well, in my opinion, I think Jane Austen is probably our greatest female philosopher. Hmm. She is so much more than a novelist. Jane Austen is an ethicist. She's teaching you about the most important things, about love, about friendship, about marriage. And it's not just, these aren't just kind of frivolous romance novels. There are actual deeper meanings behind these things. And she's teaching you how to make these choices and how to live a good and virtuous life. And she's doing this in the form of a story, mm. which means that you're actually learning and coming to these lessons by yourself rather than being told these lessons. And that actually makes them longer lasting and ingrains them in you in a way that some other lessons may not. Yeah. I really love, I was I was watching Pride and Prejudice over the weekend with a friend because, you know, I just do that. It's my, you know, I think some people have shows they watch when they're sad or, or they're tired. And I watch Pride and Prejudice. I love that. At risk of sounding really nerdy. Um, but one of the things I love about Jane Austen is she has all these characters in her books that are kind of the foil character of the hero. So in Pride and Prejudice, that's Wickham. And he's this really handsome, charming, stunning guy that all the girls are into. Elizabeth Bennet is into him and her sisters are all into him. And he is like the foil to Darcy because he's this really cute guy that is instantly warming up to everyone and sharing his story. But spoiler alert. It turns out he is the villain of Pride and Prejudice. I, one of them, I guess you could say. And he is just this horrible person. But I, I pulled a quote from Pride and Prejudice last night because I, I was laughing to my sisters. Jane Austen writes, It was not in her nature to question the veracity of a young man of such amiable appearance as Wickham. So even way back then, Jane Austen knew that women are just so likely to fall for a personable man that's cute and charming. And even then, she has all these amazing lessons for women about dealing with a guy like that. Who, you know, back then, if you ran off with a woman to Scotland and eloped with her, that was just, it wasn't just a scandalous weekend, as we might think now. It was, this woman is done. Her mm -hmm. reputation is ruined forever. So this is just one of the things I love about Austin. She's just so clairvoyant. She's demonstrating how there's so many people out there that have nefarious motives. And she's she's willing to take this type of character and show us his personality and what he's like and how he would harm all these women. And then at the same time, show us someone like Mr. Darcy, who's going to tell the women in the story, you've bewitched me body and soul and I love you rather than, you know, run off with her for a scandalous weekend. Yeah. And um, she says something to the effect of one man has all the virtues and all the the other, all the appearance of it. Oh, I love that Which is quote. a wonderful yeah. line. Yep. And she does the same for, for men. This is a lesson for women in Pride and Prejudice. But in Mansfield Park, Fanny and Mary Crawford are also foils. Oh, yeah. And Fanny is very difficult to like, even among Janeites, as are called Austin <laughs> I fans. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, many find her boring and just stodgy and prudish and she's very difficult to like but actually Austin is doing that on purpose as Dr. Colleen Sheehan writes in a very fine essay on Mansfield Park Fanny is virtue itself which must be loved in and of itself mm. but at the same time Mary Crawford is just 
formidable. She is just so charming. Nature has given her everything. She's beautiful. She's charming. She's witty. She's athletic. She's just ah, this this wonderful creature. And she's totally vicious. Mm -hmm. She is absolutely Machiavellian. And it's hard to discover that. One, because we don't always see that people are Machiavellian. But two, because she's contrasted with Fanny, who has all these virtues. Um, And like Darcy and Wickham, one has all the virtues and other the appearance of them. Mm -hmm. So, Brenda, I know you have written several pieces about Jane Austen's works in your professional career. I mean, you are you are a Jane Austen (laughs) scholar. Scholar. (laughs) What what have you personally learned from her and from doing so much, so much reading, so much Mm -hmm. research on her? What has she taught you? Yeah, I think. One of the most important lessons in Jane Austen is that marriage is the most important moral choice that you will make in your life. Mm. The person that you choose to marry is going to affect your character in profound ways, some ways you're not even aware that it's happening to you. And this is true for both men and women, but Austen also has some particular lessons for women and particular lessons for men. So one of those lessons for men is that don't marry a beautiful but silly woman. And we see this in a couple different couples in Austin. Mr. and Mr. Mrs. Bennett mm-hmm. are one example where he made this foolish choice and it has had a huge impact on his life. Mm-hmm. Um, another perhaps unique lesson for women, especially during this time period, is that the most important choice you will make for your children is who their father will be. Mm. And during this time period, that has even greater ramifications, I would say, because women are not able really to be employed. Their options are very limited. They can't inherit property. And so who you choose to marry is going to have an impact on the economics of your family, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, we see this in Mansfield Park with Fanny Price's mother, who marries a man who is both vicious and then basically gambles away and drinks away the family income. And her mom has no ability to employ herself. She has no means of really earning money. And so they have they have a lot of children, And they are unable to educate those children because, one, her mother doesn't have the time to do this. And then she can't hire someone to help her because of their financial situation. Mm -hmm. So this has a huge impact on the prospects for her children and her children's character, the choice that she makes in her husband. I love that point you make about Austin and marriage. That always stands out to me in Pride and Prejudice when Mr. Bennett kind of reflects on or Elizabeth picks up on Mr. Bennett realizing that his wife is not his intellectual equal, which is not something that you would think that they would worry about too much back then, given the the way that women's roles in society were viewed. But it's so true. I think a lot of families and women and married couples suffer if you're not intellectually compatible. You know, you need to be able to be on each other's level and talk about things and have the same understanding of life and love and God and and everything, you know, and I thought I love whenever Elizabeth Bennett picks up on that in Pride and Prejudice and is sad and realizes, 
oh, I need to be with someone that is my intellectual equal because she's witty and sassy and she's she's not going to be happy with a Mr. Collins, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know I was thinking about this and I was thinking, okay, so what what are those lessons that we can take from Jane Austen and books like Pride and Prejudice and pull into what is dating today? <laughs> the world of, of online dating and, you know, the strange culture where we are very, very far removed from going to a ball and, you know, dancing formally with the man. Like, what, what can we actually learn from her that's practical for us today? Oh, well. <laughs> go, Mary Barton. You go off. <laughs> She's so ready for this. I would say that Jane Austen teaches us that if the guy that you are with is not your Mr. Darcy, there's no need to be with him, you know? I mean, we don't want to end up with a Mr. Wickham who's charming and cute, but he's actually a horrible deadbeat guy. You want a Mr. Darcy. One of my, uh, a friend of mine has her own podcast. It's called What in the Dang Heck? And she and her friend were talking about um, relationships and who you should be with. And they said, if he's not a heck yes, he's a no. <laughs> and I was saying that, you know, like if he's not a Mr. Darcy, if he's not straightforwardly telling you, I want you, I love you, um, you are the the woman for me. And instead he's saying, hey, let's elope to Scotland and no, tell nobody. <laughs> That's not the guy you want to be with. And I'm being silly, but I think I think it, it's a really good lesson in um, real masculinity is straightforward and honest and it's not beating around the bush and it's not taking advantage of you. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Mary Margaret, I think you're hitting on an underlying assumption about dating and actually courtship in this time period as well, which is you are courting for the sake of getting married. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's when Jane and Mr. Bingley start becoming interested in one another, it causes a bit of not a scandal is not the right word for that, but there's gossip going around, right? Mm-hmm. People are noticing because they're dancing multiple times with each other and it's public. And so there's a presumption that he's going to ask her to marry him. And this is not a society where there is hookup culture, there's casual dating, right? There is there is a seriousness to it that um, we've lost today. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, I think there's a segment of the population that, like for myself, I think my sisters and a lot of my friends, we're very serious about dating for marriage. But that is not true across the board. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people are just in it for fun, and it's a different set of glasses you put on if you're dating for marriage, everything looks different. There's a lot of different consequences and you value time more. And I think you are more respectful of that person as perhaps somebody else's future husband or wife. And that's something that's absolutely lost in, in recent years. Well, and I was thinking of which would I prefer? Would I prefer to go back to the day and age when you went to the ball in a very tight corset? <laughs> like that was your opportunity to mix and mingle and meet your spouse? Or would I rather have what we have right now, the, the dating apps and the madness? And really, I would like to meet somewhere in the middle. <laughs> I think I would look good in one of those dresses. You would look <laughs> great, Mary Margaret. I would love to wear one of those. It's high pressure, though. It's like, oh, there's like three balls a year. And if you don't meet your husband that year, it's like, got to wait till like, next year. Yep. <laughs> Virginia's on the shelf. Yeah. Better luck next time. <laughs> That's rough. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I think the 1950s got it right. Like, the men were still really pursuing uh-huh. and going after. 
Hunter women, and there was still that element of romance and chivalry. Um, but you know, I I look at the dating scene today, um, and you know, I I've talked before on the podcast about how I've tried different dating apps. I'm on one right now, and honestly, I feel like. I should offer a course for men in how to create a decent oh my profile. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, you taking a selfie in the gym that's blurry. It's, it's not going to do it. No. It's not going to do it, son. <laughs> no, I've tried them too, and I just I get off every time. Because yeah. I think that a lot of it, too, like dating apps, promotes this idea of uh, unlimited field of women, and you pick her based on how she looks and mm-hmm. not much more. And on just like a few seconds decision and you might just swipe away on her because, you know, you didn't like her, her <laughs> I don't know, hair, her hair, yeah. anything, you know? And I think basing, obviously you have to base dating on a mutual attraction that's supposed to be there, but there's so much more that goes into it than that. I think one of the most romantic scenes that I've seen recently is in the notebook when, what's her name? Allie? It's Allie, right? It's Allie, yeah. She's going to, um, she's walking down the street and that soldier's in his car and he tells her, like, I want to take you out. You're that nurse that took care of me. And then their engagement scene at that jazz club where they're dancing and there's like drinks and live music and it's just really charming and romantic. And I think that is such a fun and happy and lighthearted version of dating Mm -hmm. that. We've lost. Mm-hmm. Bring, we back jazz clubs. Bring back jazz clubs. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I think I think what we're missing as democratic people, there are trade offs, right? And we are still kind of attracted to the elegance, to the mm-hmm. romance mm-hmm. of things like Jane Austen and Downton Abbey, which mm-hmm. was also extremely popular. And part of that is that there are formalities. There, there are strict formalities of how you conduct yourself and formalities between men and women, right. which there, there are downsides to that. But it also leads to less miscommunication mm. because sometimes men and women have trouble communicating right. with one another. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. So do you think that the, the kind of like stricter um, formalities of Jane Austen's time kind of kept people more in line and caused less problems? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, everyone knows intentions when you are asking a woman to dance, right? There's a presumption there of what does this mean? While today, everyone's very confused of, is this a date? Is this not a date? And um, during Jane Austen's time period, there were more strict manners. There were stricter manners of how you did things. Well, I've even heard people say... um, I've ha- I've even said to girlfriends myself, like, oh, you should just go on the date with him. It's not like you're getting married. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe we should take things a little more seriously. Maybe that would be good. Yeah. I think there's a balance there because you, of course, you want to have that mindset in dating of I'm not just dating to have a good time. Like I'm dating with intention. At the same time, you got to get to know someone before you know you want to marry the right. person. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I, I have to ask you all this question because um, – This is a debate among Jane Austen fans. Which version of Pride and Prejudice is the version? You have the newer one with Keira Knightley, or you have the BBC version with Colin Firth. If you had to pick one, that was the only version you could watch for the rest of your life. Which one? I think I know what Brenda's going to say. Well, there's only one answer to this question. (laughs) (laughs) Brenda has a definite answer. It is... Definitely the Colin Firth version. Okay. I mean, it is it is so 
true to the novel. It's so well done. It's well acted. It's it's put together well. I I think it's excellent. I mean, it's kind of a hard question for me to answer because I love the Kira Knightley version, but they do make her a lot sassier and a little bit more negative than I think Elizabeth Bennett was supposed to be. And just, I have to say this, she's way too skinny. Like, they were not that skinny <laughs> back then. And if she, if she was that skinny back then, someone would have been like, oh, is she, <laughs> is she okay? <laughs> she's, this girl, like, she's clearly from a very poor family because she's so scrawny. <laughs> but, um, anyways, I love them both, but the longer one is clearly more true to the book, that's kind of like a Sunday afternoon movie, whereas the short one is like Friday night. Yeah, you can watch it on Friday night or, you know, whenever. <laughs> Tuesday morning. Yeah. yeah. You know, like turn it on at work and put your headphones in while you're working. No, I'm just kidding. I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so good. All right. Well, up next, we're going to stay on the topic of Valentine's Day um, and talk a little bit about why some brands are letting you opt out of Valentine's Day promotionals. All right, but first I want to tell you all about a super fun way that you can stay connected with problematic women throughout the week. Problematic Women is on Instagram. You may have heard this. You can catch highlights of shows, fun reels, inspiring social graphics, and stay informed on what we're covering on the show just by following us on Instagram. I love connecting with so many of you through DMs on the Problematic Women Instagram account. If you haven't sent me a DM, please do so. We'd love to connect. But search for Problematic Women on Instagram. You can look for that bright pink logo. Some companies like the online retailer Etsy are letting customers opt out of Valentine's Day emails. Axios is reporting that some brands are giving customers this option because certain holidays, especially the ones that celebrate romantic relationships like Valentine's Day, can cause anxiety and depression. And I can appreciate an option to opt out of promotional emails because I get way too many of them. I think we all do. But I do hope that as a society, um, we are not too bound by anxiety and loneliness, that we can't handle a few emails reminding us that you, know, you can get 50% off Valentine's flowers if you order in the next two days. So I, I think there's, there's kind of this question of, are we too sensitive yeah. as a culture? What do y'all think? I mean, I'm the kind of person that I am generally not sad about something unless someone is like, you should be sad about this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Valentine's Day comes and goes. And if I don't have a guy, I'm like, Meh, darn it. Wish I had a guy. I would love to get some flowers. Maybe I should guilt my dad and remind him <laughs> that I'm single. But I'm not going to, you know, flounder around and wish that I could opt out of my Valentine's Day emails because they're making me sad. I don't just that doesn't occur to me. Right. So I agree. Absolutely. You should be able to opt out of whatever emails that you want. But I question this response where the response is to shelter people mm. and keep them away from things that cause them anxiety because that's not going to make them strong. Mm -hmm. Things in life are going to cause anxiety. They're going to cause depression. 
and things that are a lot more serious than getting emails about Valentine's Day <laughs> when you are single. So it is it is not good for people in the long run to not be exposed to these sorts of things. Jonathan Haidt in his book, Coddling of the American Mind, mm. gives a great analogy, I think, where he talks about peanuts. Hmm. And peanut allergies have actually skyrocketed. And if you look back, they started skyrocketing in the 90s because parents were not exposing their children to peanuts oh. because they were concerned about these allergies. And what that inevitably caused was actually more people getting peanut allergies. Oh my goodness. Because if you expose children to a little bit, they develop a tolerance for it and are able to eat more of it over time. So it's actually more beneficial to expose people to things and have them tolerated than to shelter them all together. That's so, so interesting. We need all the Valentine's emails. <laughs> I think that, you know, Valentine's Day, if you're single, there's so many fun things you can do. And just because just because you're not with someone and you can't go get treated to a nice dinner doesn't mean you can't have fun. Like this year, I'm going out to dinner with a bunch of my girlfriends. We're going to my favorite Italian restaurant in Old Town. Mm. And honestly, we're probably going to have more fun than other couples that are there on a date. So, <laughs> And I think we could all get behind a holiday that gives more chocolate to us. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And Nothing wrong with pink. that. I got my Nielsen red for this year. I love it. Oh, uh, yeah. They're very cute. Can't oh, see them. Thank you. They're very thank cute. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, I want to give a shout out to um, one of my, my best friends, Emily Quimmin. I went to college with her. Um, and, you know, honestly, before I met Emily, I really wasn't much of a fan of Valentine's Day. I was like, you know, it's whatever. Um, but she uses Valentine's Day as a day to celebrate your friends, as a time to recognize these are people in your life that you love oh, and love to that. write them cards and just remind them, like, I'm so thankful for you. It's like, that's really beautiful. And so I've, I've tried to, like, take from her example. I'm like, okay, I'm, I am going to use Valentine's Day as a time to remind the people in my life that I love, that I'm so thankful for them and to have fun with friends. I'm doing the same thing, Mary Margaret. I'm going out with a big group of girls. We're going to get all dressed up and go to a restaurant that's more expensive than it should be and eat good food and it'll be a blast. Uh, I think that's how Valentine's Day I love it. Virginia, you are a treasure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and if you do happen to have a date on Valentine's Day, congratulations. That's awesome. You have fun. (laughs) Yeah, you go out and get all dolled up. Yeah. (laughs) But if you don't, do something with friends. It'll it'll make it way easier and it'll cause cause that anxiety to go down that so many people in our society face. Yeah, definitely. If you are not a fan of this Valentine's Day conversation, of, of dating conversations, of Jane Austen, thanks for staying with us all this time. Our <laughs> next topic uh, is very different so you can breathe a sigh of relief. As we all know, the 2022 Winter Olympics are in full swing in Beijing. As of Wednesday, the U.S. has won seven medals. I personally love the Olympics. I think it's incredible to watch athletes who have worked so hard to do things that I honestly didn't even know that the human body was capable of. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Um, But I actually made the decision that I wasn't going to watch the Olympics on TV this year and Why, you may ask? Well, I'm going to tell you. (laughs) So China is hosting the Winter Olympics this year in Beijing. Um, The games started last week. They're running through February 20th. 
And for any country to have that honor of hosting the Olympics is a really big deal. Nations compete for this privilege of being able to host the Olympic Games because it's a way for them to be able to put their country on display and show the whole world who they are, their their beauty, and uh, kind of where they stand on the world stage. But what you're seeing from China, what China is putting on display on the screen during the Olympics is not the full story of who China really is. No, it's not. China is one of the worst nations in the world right now for human rights abuses. As we speak, there are between one and three million Chinese Uyghur Muslims being held in political re-education camps. Uyghur women are being forcibly sterilized in an effort to bring the Uyghur people to extinction. China Uyghur Muslims are being persecuted because they are seen as a threat to the Chinese Communist Party. It really is uh, an issue where if if the Chinese Communist Party sees that a group of people recognize a higher power beyond the party itself, the Communist Party, then they're going to do whatever they can to extinguish that. The persecution of Uyghurs is far from the first time that China has persecuted a group of people for their beliefs. Christians have long been persecuted in China. And in the um, the 1990s, a spiritual practice called Falun Gong was banned in China, and those who refused to recant faced imprisonment, torture, and even death. So why did the international community allow China the honor of hosting the Olympic Games this year? Likely for political reasons. America did decide to do a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics. Usually some high-ranking members of U.S. politics, like the First Lady, is present at the Games, but not this time. America was right to make this decision, but it's basically a slap on the wrist to China and honestly, not much more. Yeah, the bottom line is that China should have never been given the honor of hosting the Olympics, a nation that has committed the many, many human rights abuses as China has, doesn't deserve to host the games. And, you know, we really can't forget all, all of the other things that China has done, their cover-up of COVID-19, the way that the communist regime has brought this crackdown on Hong Kong. And I I personally made the decision, okay, I'm, I'm not going to watch the games after I watch this movie called Unsilenced. It's, I think, maybe still in theaters. It should be out on a streaming platform decently soon. Um, But it's written and directed and produced by a man named Leon Lee. And he tells the story of a couple of students back in 1999 in China who were practicers of Falun Gong uh, and then refused to recant. Um, Many of them were imprisoned, tortured. Some were even killed. But you just realize, like, watching on a screen, wow, like, These aren't just stories. These are real people's lives that have to endure this, that, you know, growing up are are lied to about their government. Um, And, you know, either they themselves are persecuted, their family members, their friends are persecuted. And it's like, wow, I I just can't sit back and kind of be like, eh, it's fine. Um, And so (laughs) I, I like I said, I love the Olympics. I love watching. But it's like, you know, I. I think I I just need to take a step back and say, okay, yep, I'm not going to watch just as a way to kind of personally say I I can't support um, anything that China touches. And you know what, Virginia, I think that I applaud you doing that. I don't really normally watch the Olympics, so I didn't make a decision not to this year because I'm never really that interested. But I heard from a friend who was at a workout class earlier this week that the workout instructor at the end of the class was chit-chatting and said something to the effect of, is anyone watching the Olympics this year? 
And a bunch of people raised their hands and the workout instructor said, well, I'm not because I'm protesting China's human rights abuses and I encourage you all to do the same. And I was so encouraged by that. Mm. I loved that someone was willing to stick their neck out like that because, you know, someone might complain or get that workout instructor in trouble. Um, but I was very encouraged by that, especially in D.C. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And I think a lot of people are th- a lot thinking along the same lines. I mean, we've all heard about these horrible human rights abuses that um, Uyghur Muslims are suffering from um, from the Chinese government, uh, and it's not just sterilization. We've heard about forced abortions, forced euthanasia. We've heard about so many different horrible things that are being done to these people, separating families, encouraging people to spy on each other and report each other for different things, torture, imprisonment, just absolutely horrible things. And I think people are finally starting to take a little bit of a stand after a long time of maybe not doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I would say that when we say political re-education camps, I think we need a clear understanding of exactly what that means. Yeah. Because at this point, people have done mock-ups of what these camps actually look like. And there is a fence between the so-called instructor And the people in the classroom, they are separated by a fence. There are high fences around the camps with a guard tower, Mm. right? It looks like a Nazi Nazi concentration camp. That's what we're talking about when we say political re-education. And one of the things um, that is also happening that, again, is very much like the German Nazi regime is Uyghurs, young Uyghurs, are taken from their schools and put through propaganda classes, very, very serious propaganda classes, so that they then go to these camps and become guards of these camps, which is the same thing that the Nazi did, uh, the Nazis did where Jews were actually guards in some of the concentration camps. It's absolutely horrifying what is so happening. Scary. Wow. Well, and I think you hear these things and you think, gosh, what do I do about it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, after I finished watching Unsilenced, I was angry. I was like, I have to do something. Um, and so when I spoke, I spoke um, on the Daily Signal podcast with this director, Leon Lee, and I kind of asked him that, like, for those of us in the West, what do we do? And his response was, you know, just make sure you're talking about it. Make sure you're you're letting your friends know, you're letting your family members know because the Chinese Communist Party is so good at hiding what's really going on, information is leaking out, but still a lot of people don't realize this is happening. And so we need to be actually sharing this information with friends. Yeah, there's crazy things, even down to the Chinese government, just removing mass grave sites. They're just mm-hmm. gone. Yeah. I, I remember reporting on this a couple of years ago. There were uh, satellite photos that showed like a massive graveyard, and then one day it was there, and then a couple years later they showed it again, and it was just, it was just gone. Wow. And that kind of thing, it's so scary, but it, it's speaking to your point, Virginia, that we don't always even hear about what's going on, and we hear bits and pieces, and then it is truly terrifying. So the more we talk about it, the more we write about it, the more we interview experts and spread awareness to friends, even silly things like your Instagram memes on your story, all your liberal friends are doing it, so you might as well do it too, all those <laughs> nonsensical Instagram story graphics find the real ones that the Daily Signal shares or the Problematic Women account shares and share them on your story because it does a lot more good than you know. And if your liberal friends are the only ones posting those memes, well, then that's an echo chamber and everyone else is going to be afraid to speak up. Yeah, Mary Margaret, thank you. That's so good. It's so important to be speaking up, sharing the truth. All right, stay with us because next we are crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. 
Virginia Allen here. I want to tell you all about one of my favorite podcasts. Heritage Explains is a weekly podcast that breaks down all the policy issues we hear about in the news at a 101 level. Hosts Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher mix in news clips and music to tell a story, but also bring in heritage experts to help break down complex issues. Heritage Explains offers quick 10 to 15 minute explainers that bring you up to speed in an entertaining way. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We even put the full episode on YouTube. Now it is that time once again. It is time to crown our problematic woman of the week, and the crown goes to Jane Austen. <laughs> <laughs> so as as we have talked about, Jane Austen, quite the lady. She made such an impact, not just uh, in her day and age, but is still influencing society today. And Mary Margaret and Brenda. Thank you for bringing your expertise to share with us a little bit more about Jane Austen. Give us a little bit of a deeper look into who she was, her influence on society. Um, so I thought we would end today celebrating Jane Austen with a few a uh, few bits of trivia about her. So um, I'll toss out a question and I'll let you all answer. My guess is given y'all's expertise, these are going to be quite easy, but we'll see. <laughs> all right. So um, Jane Austen was one of how many children? I know this because I cheated. <laughs> Thank you for being honest, Mary <laughs> Well, actually, I might even be wrong. I think she was one of eight. Correct. And what's funny is uh, I always thought of her of having as, I always thought of her as having a sister squad, like in Pride and Prejudice, mm-hmm. but I think she only had one sister. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's They're all other boys. Am I making that up? <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I think that's correct. Her okay. sister's name is Cassandra. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Going even deeper than the question. (laughs) Sorry. Do you know how many times she was engaged? There are rumors that she was expecting an engagement at one point in her life to Tom LaFroy. Um, Colleen Sheehan actually had a recent article in the Wall Street Journal about that, which is very interesting. I would encourage you to take a look. But she was never actually engaged. Okay, because I read one report that said that she was and then broke it off. Is that a false rumor? There are lots of rumors. Okay. There's lots of speculations. We're mm. just we're just not sure. Maybe he was a, like a Wickham and she had to elope with her. Yeah, I think there's a story about Harris Bigweather. Ooh. Um which I think she made up. I think it's. I don't. <laughs> you think she invented her own pop propaganda? I think it's a. It's a She's comical a story. Honestly, so. very wise. She can leave behind her legacy of all these engagements. <laughs> <laughs> How many great loves did Jade Austen have in her lifetime that we know of? Two. It, two are two are reported to have been known from my research. Brenda's looking at me like, I'm not so sure about that. She, Brenda's like, you guys are reporters and yeah. you're just like believing nonsense. <laughs> there's, there's just, there's a lot of speculation. So the movie Becoming Jane is about her mm-hmm. relationship with Tom Lefroy. But, I don't like that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what the trouble is, uh, Cassandra burned most of the letters between her and Jane Austen. There's oh, another. Wow. There's a letter that survived. It's very dramatic. About, it is yeah. very dramatic. Um, 
so it she she burned the personal correspondence. So there's we don't know some things about Jane Austen's life. Mm. Mm, Interesting. That's so sad. I'd be so mad if my sisters burned all my letters. I know. They can't burn my text messages. So <laughs> <laughs> there's that. How many books did she write? Oh, I think I know the six, right? Six published. Yes. Yeah. Six published and one partially written, right? Yeah. Sanditon was too. partially written. There's another novel uh, that's in epistolary form, okay. Lady Susan. Wow. I Brenda, I'm just so impressed with your knowledge <laughs> <Yeah>. right now. <laughs> can, can you name all the books, Brenda? Pride and Prejudice, Persuasion, Emma, Mansfield Park, Northanger Abbey, Emma. Uh, Sense and Sensibility. Sense and Sensibility. And Sanditon. Sanditon and and Love and Friendship. Oh, is that? Yeah. I could never get into that one. But I always liked Persuasion the best, actually. After um, Pride and Prejudice, obviously, is amazing. Um, But I think Persuasion is the most beautiful. It's got all that pent-up longing and the (laughs) um, love story. And she has to suffer and wait. And then in the end, she gets... The right guy. <laughs> so, so beautiful. beautiful. I love it. <laughs> we, we wish that for all of our all of our listeners out there. If you haven't found that special someone, that you'll have that story, that Jane Austen perfect story that's beautiful without the tragedy elements that she sometimes included. <laughs> that was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we are going to leave it there for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share and Tag your Valentine. No, don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) So as conservatives, we really do need your help in the podcast world. It makes such a difference when you leave us a five-star review or a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, wherever you listen. It makes a huge, huge difference. Have a great week and a very happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.